Living the Dream acknowledges the traditional owners of the land it is recorded on, especially the Jagera and Turrbal peoples, elders past, present and future, and their continuing struggles for justice and self-determination. Living the Dream is a podcast. Living the Dream is an irregularly and sometimes infrequently published anti-capitalist podcast from Brisbane. Hi everybody, you are actually listening to Living the Dream with me, Dave and... John. How are you, how going, you going, John? Oh, I'm alright. Do you know this is our first show that we've recorded the whole year? Yeah, that's um, unfortunate. Oh. But, um, it's, it's, it's been... a it's been an interesting year I think there's been a lot of a lot of challenges and I think in particular we sort of wanted to take our time I guess with this, yeah with this podcast with so particular so, episode so this is the third part of our long series I think that we titled like living the dream after white Australia and so we're going to be talking about The White Possessive by Eileen Morton Robinson. Eileen Morton Robinson is a Gonopal woman from Maringibar, Quadamooka First Nation in Queensland, Australia. She's a professor of social science in the Faculty of Humanities and Social Sciences at the University of Queensland. And I, I think, John, like, it took me of this book caused a bit of a, a crisis for me. Um, which has been one of the reasons I think it's taken so long to get round to record the podcast. And it was part of a, you know, like I think, I thought when, you know, COVID happened, do you remember when COVID, ha- COVID happened? I was like, this is going to be a really productive time. And in fact, it's been the reverse. And one of the things I have been struggling with is kind of systematic reading, I guess. And... I I really um, because I think at some fundamental level I really disagree with this book. It produced a bit of a challenge for me about what does that mean, and even what does reading mean? Like, what does it mean to read a book well? So I found that um, one of the things that really struck me is that. I was kind of getting annoyed at a lot of small things in the book. And I I asked myself, if this was a book that I agreed with, would I get annoyed with all those small things? Like, is there something about, um, like, like there are, there are things, so the, for example, you know, there's a key part of this book and we, we will, really get into it is it wants to theorize subjectivity by doing a reading of systematic conditions it it wants to say because of the discursive and social structure of 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 colonization it produces a particular subjectivity about white people and that is how sovereignty is acted out within australia and i disagree with it but then I thought, oh, fuck, there's lots of books that essentially make 
the same argument, right, that I agree with. So writers like Bifo, you could even say the Situationist Tradition, Guy Debord, the Invisible Committee, they all attempt, and in fact, radical thought generally often tries to say, this is the structure of society, therefore people feel a certain way, right? And often I really like that. But it's kind of, you can never prove it, right? You know, like actually just because people go through a certain experience of oppression or a discursive regime or whatever, there's no guarantee. Like people actually, if you look around, feel a whole range of different ways about it. And so this was just one example where something in this book that I was going, oh, I really disagree with that. How can, how can you possibly say that? Then I was like, oh, actually, you know, there's all these other books that I agree with that do the same thing. And I'm like, yeah, right on. Um, and then there's also like, there was times where I'm like, well, what do you mean by this concept? Like, how are you using this? Then I was like, well, if this is a book I agreed with and they use a term like capital or class, which often just means to like fear will be theorized properly later. Does that make sense? (laughs) You know, like, um, I would agree with it. So it created this like, and then also there's the bigger question, you know, this is a really important book written by a groundbreaking, you know, indigenous female academic, um, some white dude in the suburbs disagrees with it. So what, right? Like who cares? So part of it was like this challenge to, to reading. There's also like, well, I want to produce something that's useful. I think this book is important and it speaks to a whole bunch of stuff that's going on that I want to get grips with. How can I deal with that? And so I think that's really slowed down that process, you know, because we we were never the fastest podcast in the world, John. But this has been a awards for that. No. But this this has produced, I think, a kind of a longer delay. But I really hope today that we can talk about morton robinson's book in a way that kind of does it some justice is that yeah i i agree i mean and the whole issue of um of whether you know how we engage with this book and i think you know we need to you know this sound all impol but you know our subject positions do make it actually quite like it's a, like you know i think it comes down to that you know where you're raised and i i grew up you know we, we came up in the tradition of kind of a radical leftism um, and we're attuned to reading uh, books that make arguments, as you say, that, are, that are, I was thinking about this before. We're getting into some heavy stuff maybe a bit early here, but, you know, like, <clears throat> we... Like, the claims that are kind of made, the totalizing claims that get made in the book, like, we, we totally accept those when they come in terms of something like, you know, the, 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 the work, working class are the agent of history or the, you know, class is the motor of history, which to and someone from... Another tradition. <laughs> it's just like, that's say, ridiculous. Like, that's yeah. the most insane thing I've ever heard in my life. I, I, I think, you know, one of, one of the things we even get to the... Con- like, one of the products of reading this book is it's kind of forced me to um, become far more materialist, mm. contingent, and reduced in what I think. Does that make sense? Like... Yeah. Go like trying to consistently apply the same critique that has been my reaction to this book to what I think, and and that's had a big impact, you know. Yeah. Where often it's like, how can I? What is really a materialist claim? What really can be backed up? What what really am mm. I theorizing? And even before we get into the material of this book, has been mm. one of the ones. But I, I guess um, 
really one of the reasons I, I want to take this book seriously is I think that we've commented on this before, but something that we've probably observed for a number of years is amongst friends and comrades, hmm. there's probably two different narratives about how society in Australia is theorised. So there's one tradition, and it might come from the you know broadly Marxian, maybe even anarchist or whatever that understands Australia as capitalist. And then increasingly, there's friends and comrades who want to understand Australia as a, as a settler colony. And most people kind of jam those concepts together. It's a capitalist settler colony, and I totally get that because they want to talk about these things in, in related ways. But in fact, I think there's often very distinct attempts to make sense of, of what is going on. And there's more and more friends that, like, you know, I think we had a show a couple of years ago where I use colonialism in a really uh, reduced and, and, and circumscribed way where it refer, refers to a particular period of the opening of capitalism where parts of the world are made direct in colonial possessions of what would then become the, the metropole capitalist states. But a book like White Pos- The White Possessive is an attempt to theorize the present within the concepts like of, of white possessive sovereignty and uh, and we'll get into those but essentially to theorize those colonial dynamics playing out and still defining Australia today so colonialism or coloniality is a much bigger concept right and I really wanted to take that seriously because I think that jamming them together does a bit of violence to both concepts. Do you, do you get where I'm coming from on this, John? Yeah, I do. I mean, and there's, you know, I feel like we'll, we'll need to take a step back here soon, but I think, you know, there's kind of this idea of settler. I think this is something Morton Robertson has some kind of had some interesting kind of issues with, I think, settler colonial studies and with these, um, you know, and, 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 and with, I guess, Indigenous studies and all these other kind of studies that are sort of in whiteness studies that have kind of emerged and how they tend to, um, you know, from her, from, from her perspective, I think, you know, settled colonialism um, is actually kind of a framing that probably minimises um, the agency of Indigenous peoples. And there's a great critique kind of of that settled colonialism as a matrix, sort of as a theory, as it allows space for Indigenous agency. But I, I would say, you know, that I'm, I'm slightly more maybe convinced than you by the work of settler colonial studies and the centrality of settler colonialism and, and slavery and colonial exploitation to the rise of capitalism and to, you know, the continuation of capitalism coming, you know, thinking, you know, at the moment I'm kind of engaging with lots of kind of, you know, 20th century um, theorists of, you know, like... Um, neo-colonialism for instance and these sorts of they just use a term like neo-colonialism and I think it's important to make that because you know there's this idea that colonialism as you said is a category or a, or a time period I suppose it ends in a certain time which is a very white way to think about it or a very European way to think about it and we all set different periods every country has a different way when does you know France's empire end you know is it you know, um, when, uh, the, uh, is it when Viet, uh, Vietnam's independence, Algerian independence, or, 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 or later, when does Australia lose its empire? Is it in 1975 when, you know, PNG um, becomes independent? Or, and what does it mean when we talk about internal versus external colonialism? These, these questions are not ones that um, Morton Robertson directly discusses because she's interested, of course, in an indigenous concept of knowledge, which we also need to get into. But I think we should take a step back 
and say, you know, yes. Firstly, one thing, you know, comrades have been engaging with the work of Eileen Morton Robertson and other kind of um, indigenous um, theorists um, and, um, and producers of activist knowledge, but also kind of the, you know, I think we need to place it in the bigger context of this kind of year, I guess, of indigenous... Uh, where we've had, um, you know, the Hawthorne and other um, football clubs, kind of the racism saga um, has unfolded. We've, of course, got The Voice, which is currently, um, you know, animating and dividing lots of different forces in the progressive and indigenous circles. And, you know, the murder of, of Cassius Turvey um, only very a few months ago. Was it yeah. even months ago? I don't yeah. even know. It's, so like, I, I, it's, it's not... I it really feels like it's just in the present. And to- this totally. Is- and okay. and I, I think, you know, while I was thinking this, you know, reality just smacks me in the face, right? So if you, you think about, you know, the Hawthorne racism scandal where we find that, like, Indigenous players and their partners and families are subjected to this level of management and control that non-Indigenous players are probably not. We have, you know, Amy Maguire's article, The Act of Disappearing, which is about the, the, the high level... Of, the high level of violence subjected to Indigenous women, then the the way that that's minimised or or, um, or or removed, and then I think the lynching of Cassius Turvey, right? And so by lynching, I mean some idea that there's a form of violence that is formally prohibited, but covertly validated by the social structure, and I guess we will see in what happens next, how much that plays out. If, you know, all of this points in the direction of the kind of theorization that um, Morton Robinson is is making, that for Indigenous people, the the process of, you know, the, the work of, ro- of white sovereignty, of that possessive control, isn't simply carried out by the state or a ruling class, but is carried out by a block of white society as a whole, right? That the line of tension, that that this is a, and that's what the book is trying to get to. So you, you you're kind of confronted by this reality, and then I think with the voice referendum, you know, like, so, so take a cons- like take. Actually, I want to take a step back. The, the other thing that's really important, I think, at the moment is that we're also in a situation in Australia where like indigenous struggles and indigenous people have made these really profound advances and challenges on the status quo in Australian society. So for the last couple of years, it's been kind of indigenous activism, particularly around things such as Invasion Day and I guess the symbolic ideology of Australia that has been one of the most um, sharp points of social struggle. I feel that we're almost in a cultural, like a black cultural renaissance of indigenous artists and musicians who are really drawing on some of the political experience of the past. We've got probably more indigenous politicians in parliament um, than ever before, I think, and, and they are really across the gamut of politics. And we have this voice referendum. And if you listen to like a, conserv- a more conservative indigenous theorist, so someone like Noel Pearson in The Boyer Lectures, we have one voice that basically says, you know, he's got this argument saying the, the voice referendum will allow a change to the Australian constitution that will, sufficient, that will substantially reduce the power of racism in Australia, right? 
that substantial justice around the dispossession of Indigenous people can be be um, achieved within the state, within the setup as it currently exists. Now, Morten Robinson's Morton Robinson's The White Possessive is written before the voice referendum, and I haven't read anything that they have specifically said about the voice referendum. But certainly the theoretical position that's presented in the book would be a powerful counter-argument to that kind of constitutional optimism. Now, now I, I want to put a, a, a little bracket around that, John, because I have seen Morton Robinson present in public at a conference once, and you know, and in that conference, she was talking very tactically about limited gains. She believed people could win. So I don't want to say project. You know what? You no, know, I don't know what her opinion on how people should engage in the referendum and what stance they should take. But I could say the theory of the book, and particularly when it's spoken about um, native title gains and the like in the past creates an argument that would say which would say i think it is like the nature of 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 kind of white possessive sovereignty would work to minimize any potential gains within that structure so i think that's some of the big framework even before we get into the book sorry john i've been monopolizing time do you want to jump in there well i think uh, i just kind of go back to you know as you're right on those points I think you're probably right in Morton, reading Morton Robinson in that way in terms of kind of the voicing sort of constitutional constitutional changes um, with respect to the, um, the lynching it's not just you know you've got a, a point yes where you know like it's, it's not accepted it's not formally allowed but it is still legal it still happens uh, but also it's exemplary violence and I think that's something, you know, the idea of the lynching was, you know, this is what we will do to you. You know, that's what lynching was in the South. Yeah. That's what lynching continues to be. And I think that gets to a bigger point here, which we haven't mentioned, which is, you know, the Black Lives Matter, I guess, which is a mm-hmm. bigger framing of all of this, of course. And, you know, this kind of um, idea, I guess, that the Black Lives simply don't matter in, in the colony. And I don't think, you know, when, you, when that, this sort of thing happens, when you've got, you know, white men murdering, lynching indigenous kids on the street. You mm. have to definitely accept, you know, that this is, you know, beyond all of our of our class analyses and whatnot, mm-hmm. there's obviously an incredibly powerful constitutive role of race. Yeah. yeah. And I agree. And, about and, race, race. Yeah, and so so exactly well. right. So so this is, you know, and and this here is this phenomena and here is this theory that will attempt to explain these as not disparate acts of like malfeasance or you know often it's like racism is seen as like an individual mutation of the untrained right like morton robinson's book will you know will gives us a theory to explain all how this is structural right um i i would like to talk a little bit about the book if that makes sense john before we get to the content so the, the book is composed of a series of essays. Um, and the essays are interesting in the sense where they attempt to do um, two things simultaneously, where they attempt to look at a significant phenomena or engage in um, a political debate or an intellectual debate 
and also I think generate the concepts that allow that work. So Morton Robinson wants to talk about native title, wants to talk about popular culture, wants to talk about the Cronulla riots, wants to talk about uh, racism in, in the white place, in the, in the workplace, white place. What a, an interesting Freudian slip. Um, wants to, you know, intervene in the, the intellectual debates around colonialism, around race, wants to do all this work and at the same time craft for herself the tools that allow the work to do that. So in such, and that's unfolding over a period of time. So I think what really needs to be allowed in reading a book like that is to accept that the author is constantly reforging and resharpening those tools. Does that make sense? That like this is not a book which it just presents the tools in isolation, but it builds the plane as it flies. I feel that the publishers um, have possibly done Morton Robinson an injustice by really not getting like one of her students or a supporter to write, uh, a, you know, there is an introduction to the book that Morton Robinson writes, but someone who could write like a, a scholarly introduction that for the reader who doesn't know that their work talks about the influences and the development. Does that make sense? Like you'll often find like in a collection of essays. So if I have a collect, one of the first collection of essays that, um, that Badiou came, that came out in English about Badiou had a little essay in the front, I think by like Justin Clemens or Oliver Felton or someone like that, that is like, this is what's going on here. And I think that's fair to the author. Does that make sense? And it's a little bit annoying that the publisher, you know, the publishers didn't get someone from Morton Robinson's tradition that they're, they're developing to do that at the beginning. Um, it kind of throws the author into the fire, particularly because there's a really distinct moment where Morton Robinson, you know, uh, I guess picks up um, Foucault's uh, Society Must Be Defended essays that are translated in about 2005. And and that makes their work veer in a certain way. It made everyone's work veer in a certain way at that time. And I kind of felt, you know what, um, it would be good to get that, like if they had one of Morton Robinson's, you know, PhD students or, or someone like that to write that scholarly introduction, I think that would be because the work is so groundbreaking, right? Um, mm. And it is so new and so different. I, I just, that was a bit annoying. I mean, I think, um, you know, like this is a problem with any kind of collection of essays to a certain degree is, you know, there's a lack of, there's a certain coherence that one can't really achieve with that. Um, and, you know, um, equally, I don't know, I, I found the introduction to be quite useful in a lot of ways, but I think you're right in that it, what, what it needs is, you know, what, what you know, any, I think when you've got, um, you're trying to introduce some very groundbreaking work has been going on for decades to kind of a new or mass audience, particularly an overseas audience, which is book obviously targets. That's one thing we should make clear. It's not, it's about Australia, but it's clearly, you know, it's, target, it's published by University of Minnesota Press and it's aimed at, you know, influencing broader debates in Indigenous studies, not just, you know, Australia. There's, there's a certain way in which you could definitely argue that a kind of um, some sort of, you know, edit his introduction type thing could be, could be um, beneficial. But yeah, um, I guess what we want to say is, yeah, do we want to kind of get then into the into the book, I guess, and kind of what it what I think with Foucault, we need to talk about the Foucault stuff a bit more as well because I think you know the way that she employs discourse is obviously very important. Is really crucial. It is yeah. like well, okay, that 
so that I think the book, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot, a lot, and like it makes me think about critique and reading and agreeing and whatever. And this book, I think, has two aims. It has what I think is a close aim, and it has what I think is a far aim. Does all right? So, and Morton Robinson raises the close aim a number of times. So. I, like sometimes it, it's really presented that this is an intervent, intervention in specific intellectual and university debates, right? That it is an intervention into how um, race is theorized. And it wants to unearth and present how the indigeneity or indigenous people or indigenous scholars are often left out of the theorization of race and of whiteness and why this is a problem. It wants to incite Indigenous scholars to build their own work on why race matters, and it wants to ignite that scholarship. Um, I think I've got a line here. I'm not sure if this is... Uh, ignite scholarship and inspire scholarship about sovereignty, race, and racism because of the mortifying impacts the logics of white possession have had on indigenous sovereignty. And I think that's, I think I've taken that as a quote from near the end of the book. And I think this is really important because obviously this is a project where a different, for the author, a different and better possibility exists and that is in the continual presence and potentialities of indigenous sovereignty and it wants to critique a target indigenous white possessive sovereignty in a way of advancing that cause right and in particular it has a theory that places a particular importance on discourse on knowledge and in therefore on the emancipatory work that could be done on the terrain of knowledge. I think it also has a far aim, and that is that it poses a theory of history of the last 500 years. That it says since the emergence of like the European colonial project, the world has been divided into three different kinds of people. Those that own property, those that have become property-less, and those who've become property. And that this emerges out of the episteme of Western culture. So this is very much, again, another reference to Foucault here, um, that because of the implicit structure of knowledge in the colonial powers, this project has happened and it's had this. And this implies a certain relationship between ideas and social relationships. So this is like a an on its own grand theory of modernity is here. You know, like a very different theory of modernity than a liberal one or a Marxian one. But within the close aim, there is a bigger aim that and it's, it's very exciting, you know, to to be to can to see that and to, to look at that. Yeah, no, I think I think that's right. I think it, what is it? it? I think you're right in identifying those kind of key aims. There, I think, is 
that idea of indigenous sovereignty is one that we really need to tackle here as well because it yeah. establishes an idea that basically that you know this is you know kind of a common idea i guess amongst indigenous um scholarship which is you know that there's these sovereignty claims and cultural existences of indigenous peoples that there was an attempt to exterminate indigenous peoples and there's still an ongoing attempt as we read Amy Maguire's article, this ongoing attempt, this kind of the idea of disappearing or missing Indigenous people. Well, the intention was always to disappear and to render missing Indigenous peoples within settler colonial structures. That's always been the case, whether that was physical or whether that was, um, you know, um, discursive. Um, but in any case, that has, has been an unsuccessful project by white powers and the, the ongoing nature and the ongoing reality of Indigenous sovereignty, like a vampiric presence. A kind mm. of spectral presence that haunts is kind of. I don't know if you directly refers to hauntology. I don't, no, I don't quite remember. It's but, um, unsettled. It, it's it's unsettles, right? So yes. well, it's a very very good use of that. Very good I, term. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I, I would say that the the imagery, and this is really important because this is you know in terms of if we want to talk about this for an hour, this is really the meat of the book, right? That the imagery. Morton Robinson uses in relation to indigenous sovereignty is not spectral, but embodied. I've created a little, can I run through my schematic? Is that all right? I, I think if, if you were to look at the key concepts of the books, of the book, on one hand, there, are, there, there is whiteness, and on the other hand, there is indigenous sovereignty. So in terms of whiteness, you can break that into um, white possession and patriarchal white sovereignty. So white possession is the idea that in the colonial process, a particular notion of the individual emerges, right, as part of modernity, as part of enlightenment, as part of colonization. And it's shaped by a particular discursive regime and builds a particular kind of subjectivity that the individual is the being that possesses things as items, right? Related to this is a rise of a sovereignty, right? A, a patriarchal white sovereignty that makes claims to ownership of land, of people, of space, of culture, right? And within that, not everyone is equal, right? So Morton Robinson says that there is an inequality between men and women. Morton Robinson says there is an inequality between white men and non-white migrants, but they were all in it, right? And, you know, there, there's some engagement with Gus and Hajj there, and that's pretty interesting. But the thing that I think is really crucial here is those inequalities, there's no sense that they have a conflictual logic that will break out of them, right? There's, the, the, there's, there's nothing in Morton Robinson's book that suggests that the inequality of women to men within white uh, patriarchal white sovereignty suggests it will lead to a, an emancipatory antagonism. But indigenous sovereignty on the... So, okay, I'll, the other thing I want to add there is that this notion of, of sovereignty is historically constituted. It is a form of power and behaviour that has arisen from the colonial project. Against this, there is indigenous sovereignty, and that is pre-historical or ahistorical, that it, it arises from the ontological relationship that Indigenous people in Australia have with land, culture, law and spirituality, right? And 
it is embodied and lived. And therefore, it can never be defeated. It, it exists permanently as an unsettling force. It, can't, it exists, it's its own thing. It implies a different set of relationships that Indigenous people have with each other in the land. And that white sovereignty can never defeat it. And the thing that really struck me on maybe the second or third reread of this book, that this is not a battle of sovereignties. This is a disconnection of fundamentally different sovereignties, right? One historically constituted a product of discourse, engaging people in a particular way, and the other existing on a level of, of being. Now, when I say ontology, I, I mean being, and Morton Robinson says ontology too as well. It is a fundamental existence outside of history that cannot be defeated. And that is, and I want to say antagonism, but it's not an antagonism. It's not two forces lined up against each other. Like, there's a lot there, and the implications for that, I think, um, are pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, yes, that's, I don't think that you're wrong in any of the points that you've just laid out there, Dave. I think that's absolutely, you know, a fundamental basis. And then, I mean, we talked about this in the past. I think that there's, you know, a fundamental way in which, you know, what we're engaging with here is a form of kind of nationalism, of a type of kind of, of, of what Westerners call, and this is the thing we, we talked about at the beginning, we all bring our own kind of backgrounds, we all bring our own perspectives, we bring our own subject positions, you know, so we perceive this as a type of, of nationalism and indeed all nationalisms rely on a primordial basis of course um you know the, the, any nationalist emancipatory nationalist project if i can do it i know that you find that to be a, a tautology potentially dave an emancipatory nationalist project all of them um involve a certain degree of um you know of primordialness you know wherein we are this people we have always been this people and the people who conquer us will never be able to defeat us i mean this is you know i think of you know vietnamese nationalism you know where they say you know we've been here forever we've been colonized for a thousand years literally we've been colonized for a thousand years and you'll never defeat us um, whether it's chinese whether it's americans whether it's french you'll never defeat us and there's a certain way in which that nationalism um you know, is emancipatory. And it, and it, it, it's obviously like, and I think if we can get into, there's a really, I think there's a, some very interesting in the, in the actually, the very short afterward, I think does get to some really interesting points about all of this, but I'll, I'll, I'll get to that. But what do you think about that, Dave? Yeah, I think a couple of things. I think you're entirely right, you know, that this is not unique. And I, I also as well, it's like, you know, like Morton Robinson, I'm going to make, I make a critique that Morton Robinson sees coming, right? And mm, gives yes, a retort yes, to that yes. critique, right? So, um, but, but also as well as, you know, it, it, my response is in some ways that it is a theological claim that Morton mm. Robinson is making. Yes. But that's not unique, right? Like no. pretty much every, like... Um, I was thinking about yeah. Marxism. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and the kind of go Walter Benjamin and the Messianism. I think oh, he's absolutely right. It's a, absolutely a, a product of kind of a, a Christio, Judeo Christian. Uh, uh, but, but I think even, even more tradition. than that, there's, there's, a, there's a Paolo Verno episode, uh, essay where I think he mm. says something along the lines of like every political theory implies an, uh, 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 some kind of some understanding of human nature, and every understanding of human nature employs implies some kind of political theory. Like yeah. if you if you look at mainstream 
uh, English political theory, it all has a theological basis at some point. At yep. some point, most stuff goes, there is a figure called man, right? Yep. Or yep. normally man, and yep. it has this characteristics. So, yep. you know, that like, I think it's a, like, the, I think it is a, there's a theology here, but that's not uncommon. No. Because most things rest in some ways on a uh, pre-theorized acceptance of yeah. of being. And I think that's it's a way that you, I think modern Robinson frames it as kind of like you know people who bring their Western thoughts and logics aren't going to like this 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 book, and that's and that's and that's absolutely right. And I think it's because when you frame it as that like Western, people are like ooh. But if you think about it, like what she's saying, of course, is that every political ideal as you say is a result of some sort of you know has some sort of theological root like the yeah. idea of that there is man and there is god and yeah. then if we're going to give the yeah. idea that there is human and right. there is nature yeah. yeah and that yeah there is there's you being know, you know and yeah and there's ha- being, yeah, there's, yeah how, there's, how how much is nature often you know like and, and that's part yeah. of being the challenge of the of reading this book because i disagree with this is that can i maintain a form of social critique of the present that does not rest on any theological concepts. You know, I'm not writing anything, but you know, but just in my head, can I do that? Um, but yeah, you know, there's oh shit, there was another point I wanted to make about this. So yeah, okay. So Morton Robinson says from this this um, pre-existing ahistorical ontology, you can then have how Indigenous people are, are partially caught in the discursive apparatuses of the colonial project, right? And is willing to kind of take from, particularly in signposts to queer theory, I think quite early on to accept that. But then says, I get that you were going to say that this is essentialist, right? And that's my response. Like my response reading this is like, this is a form of essentialism that I can't have a truck with. And Morton Robinson's retort is actually, you are the essentialist because you're taking essentially a... European intellectual debate that emerged in post-structuralism in the 60s and you're projecting that across the world. I don't find that retort convincing, but that retort is made, right? So Morton Robinson sees my critique and says, well, there's no grounds for your critique because you're throwing a net on a form of experience and being that is outside of that. Yeah, I think that's what we've been already talking about, right? Yeah. Like the question of, you know, when we, you know, Morton Robertson exists in the, in the, in the Western Academy. I might, I might, I might get to this point that she makes in the, in the afterward, which is quite helpful, I think. But, you know, so obviously she's drawing on Foucault, she's drawing on, you know, obviously she's, you know, within the Western Academy and making an intervention into a debate, which is at least partly within the Western Academy, while drawing on, obviously, knowledges that are well outside of that and contributing to, um, you know, scholarship and activism importantly that's outside of that which makes a good point i'll need to load it up because of course i haven't gone prepared it in advance because why would anyone do that she says yeah in the 21st century the terms aborigine native and indian continue to function as white epistemic possessions as a as white epistemic possessions circulating as through their as though their Etymological roots are no longer connected to their function as homogenous racializing concepts, discursively signifying our savagery, primitiveness, barbarism, and overall lack. Um, we claim and name ourselves Aborigines, Indians, and Natives, even though these concepts do not hold only uh, only the meanings we ascribe to them. 
as homogenizing concepts. We operationalize them to form alliances in our political struggles, and we redefine their meanings. Our, um, can I end it there? And our ability to resist in this way is informed by our sovereign ontologies through which we know ourselves within our respective knowledge systems, as being, for example, Gen Apple or Seneca or, or Kanaka Maoli. And I think that is really interesting because, you know, as a historian, this is something that I'm always engaging with, I guess, is this kind of question of, you know, these are terms that we come up with and that we make like, like race itself right go back to the most fundamental thing of what is race there's no such thing as race but we make race discursively on the one hand by saying this person is an aborigine this person is an african i am a white and that is discur there's a series of discursive systems that create that right it's also materialized race is materialized through the fact that indigenous peoples die 20 years younger than white people in this country and the, the prison population is insanely huge, like even bigger than the American South. We make race a real thing. But in that same way, Morton Robinson is saying, you know, that we claim and we take possession, probably not the right term to use here, but we, 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 we use terms like Aboriginal. We, we take these terms and we operationalize them against our against white sovereignty and that kind of the master's tools. We, we, we lay claim to the master's tools in that, in that sense. And I think, in a way, that's a really, I think, powerful and really, I think that's, that's at the basis, I think, of what, she's, of, of, of what she's saying here. I don't know, does that, does that make I, sense? I've, look, I, yeah, I've got to jump in here before my brain explodes because there's, in that quote's perfect because there's two key parts of Morton Robinson's argument that express there. I just want to say them so I don't forget them. Like the first one is what is being possessed? And the second one is Morton Robinson's political strategy. Right? So that's a really like the book is called The White Possessive. What does whiteness possess? And it's much more than what we normally understand as property. You know, so on one hand, Morton Robinson wants to talk about, yes, it's the land of Australia, right? It's its wealth and its resources. But it's also then social being, knowledge, culture, space, right? It's an expansive... like, And sometimes, if you read this book, who is possessing? Sometimes it is white people who possess and sometimes it is whiteness who possesses the white people, Right? There's even an argument where the concept of whiteness as a critical term is possessed by white radical scholars. So it's an incredibly expand. It's this this idea, this you know, patriarchal white sovereignty and its white possessive subjectivities are making a claim to ownership of everything, right? Being, and when we go back to those original examples we talked about you know indigenous football players unable to make a decision you know being prevented from making decisions about you know their who they see when they have relationships you know when they have children in young in young indigenous teenager murdered in a street right you know that this this claim is total right so like it's huge but then there is at the end of that 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 paragraph, right, there is this idea that there's this mode of operating that based on what it cannot be defeated, Indigenous sovereignty, that continues to exist because it is a relationship of being, 
allows then spaces for intervention, right, that can shift or break or unsettle. Break is too strong, actually, and we, we should talk to that in a moment. I think that that's pretty profound. And, you know, for people who read the book, because we're talking on a high level, you know, Morton Robinson builds this argument by doing studies that move through, I think, you know, multiple different levels, wants to talk about native title in particular. You know, so this appears to be a victory because certain rights are given. However, because this happens within the framework of of, of, of whites, the sovereign white state, it is constantly denied. Or even that the claims to beings, to being that people are made are, are denied. She wants, you know, talks about art and uh, you know, what it's like for Indigenous people in workplaces. So it's it's across the totality. I think you're right. I think what we need to do here when we talk about that 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 claim of the totalizing nature of whiteness is, you know, perfectly it actually links us back to the last two books that we've been reading, right? And particularly to that kind of tradition, we'd have to say, um, the David Rodinger tradition, um, that that kind of tradition, the black radical tradition, uh, that that's all drawing on in this idea of what is whiteness really is it? Um, whiteness is you know, the, the whiteness is not skin colour, obviously. Whiteness is not defined by that you are white. It is defined by an ever-shifting category of who whiteness is. And it creates a binary, as all kind of modernity concepts do, of whiteness and non-whiteness. But that that is a movable category. And it's basically can be seen as kind of co-determined with something like citizenship, you know. That the white claims to citizenship, claims to true belonging, are claims to whiteness. Right, and that's going to be achieved by you know, allying oneself with with whiteness and displaying that in particular ways. Right, and that's materialized, for instance, in you know um, how the Irish became white in in terms of kind of that the Irish became white through you know allying themselves against African Americans. Right, allying themselves with Protestant with Anglo power against against. African American power, right? And these, you know, you might not like this this, this totalizing concept, Dave, but it's 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 a lot bigger than Morton Robinson. Yeah, but I think I think Morton Robinson is making a completely different like even though some bits where she engages directly with Rodinger and there's a historical bit where she references Rodinger Rodinger, but I I think she's making a very different argument because like if you look at someone like Ignatiev or um. Or Rodinger, like the argument is that in the colonization of Americas, whiteness is basically granted as a set of privileges of social standing and, and employment to win a section of the population to capitalism, right? You know, I think Ignatiev says, you know, whiteness is, is, um, is what Amer- Americans get instead of social democracy, right? And it can be overcome to it, it, can, it should be attacked to be overcome to restart the class project that is not in, in like the, the in morton robinson's book there is no idea that there is an antagonistic antagonistic relationship amongst people who are white right they there, there is an inequality amongst people who are white right but there, there's no sense that that can be broken by struggles within it, where in in the in the te, like the W B Du Bo- it Du Bois or Du Bois? How do I pronounce it? Du Bois. Okay, so in the in the W B Du Bois, Ted Allen, Rodinger, Nolignatiev tradition, that is a class struggle theory of whiteness. This, this is not this is not what Robinson says. 
Morton Robinson says, sorry, my apologies. So um, that that's, and it's interesting because like her historical model, right? And this is a bit I've thought about a bit and I do want to talk about, you know, there's a, sec- a chunk in the section where she gives a very brief, so we should understand it's brief, right? Kind of understanding. She says, well, basically in the 16th century, Englishmen encounter Africa, right? And they already have discursive notions of blackness as dirt and wickedness, right? And it is in this encounter that everything we say, see later unfolds. In, like the English colonizers go into the colonial encounter already with a with a discursive idea of blackness being dirty or wicked or, or you know somehow worse encounter Africa and West Africa and and the Congo and this lays the discursive framework that then becomes the colonial project that then creates in its unfolding white sovereignty and the white possessive right that that is no and even though she in that section she signposts um, I think in the footnotes Ted Allen and, and Rodinger I'd have to go back and check that. That's not their argument. Their argument is in the process of the colonization of Americas facing unified African and European resistance, whiteness is developed as a strategy. Like, I I do also need to make a critique that I think Morton Robinson's point is historically wrong. That the idea that Europe encounters Africa in modernity is incorrect. So uh, there's the work of uh, uh, Dr. Onyega Nabia basically reveals that Tudor society is full of black people. You know, and there's more and more work about this, that Tudor, Tudor England is full of black people and their, their blackness is not a particularly important social signifier. So, uh, you know, they've done work where they've looked at, say, you know, uh, you know a, black, a tailor, a blacksmith, whatever, and you look over their life, sometimes they're referred to as a Moor and sometimes they're not. And that this notion that there is some kind of line between Europe and Africa is in fact incorrect, <laughs> that people from what we call Europe and people of what we call Africa have been building societies, living in places, moving around for thousands and thousands of years. So like I, I think, which means that a different, this is interesting, right? Because it, in some ways it means that the racial order um, is newer and that people from what we call now Africa and people that from what we call Europe have been encountering and experiencing and living together and forming societies, maybe not good societies, um, mm. but for a long period of time in, in really different ways. Uh, so, yeah. so like, I, I think it's a, like to pull back then, you know, it, yeah. it's different from the other versions of whiteness we've had before and it has its own different um, historical origin. Yes, and I mean, in a way, you can. You, you, you're right in that, you know, there's a sort of a claim made to that. But in a way, you know, you could say that what is happening, what happens, like, you know, you're right that obviously there's, you know, thousands of years of um, you know, encounters between Africa and, and Europe because, you know, the Romans occupied large chunks of Africa. Come on, you know, we don't. But then it's this question of possessiveness and this question of capitalism that becomes important in the 16th century right so it's not that these racial discourses didn't exist like we know for instance there's some interesting work about how um, um anti-jewish sort of sentiment looks like very much like racism kind of in the medieval period 
um, and that that's kind of a, a way a technology that then gets operationalized as a form as these um, as race in colonies. But you know what changes, I guess, is you know once it becomes a matter of owning or possessing people, that's when race becomes a harder biological marker, right? And that's the importance of possession. It's possessing land, but it's also possessing people become possessions, right? It might not necessarily be Morton Robinson's argument in that book, in that particular thing, but it was part of a kind of a larger intellectual tradition to which he's contributing. I think that's certainly a case that's made, right? Mm. Yeah, I think that like Morton Robinson really does want to say there's a relationship to capital here, um, want, wants to make that connection they, they don't do it in that in this book that's fine right you can't write about everything in all books it would be churlish yeah it'd be churlish to make to make that 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 criticism um i do think though there is some distinction between the expansive notion of what of, of what morton robinson means by property and how i understand property to function in capitalism you know and you know it is very much the idea that a block of people, a white, you know, the, a block sovereignty takes control and hoards things. Um, different from the notion of of the capitalist firm that takes things and throws them into market to constantly accumulate more money, right? And and I really think, like we, even though I disagree with the history, we should take Morton Robinson's like counter history of the of modernity seriously, right? Like. If you think that the most in, if if you think the last five hundred years has been the rise of capitalism, so the domination of the world by value thrown into motion, and that creates a series of hierarchies, that's a different theory than if you think the world has been organised by three categories of those who own property, those who are propertyless, and those who become property. Right, like, and I, it's a violence to both of them to mash them together and say they're the same. Uh, where what do we want to do now? Like, where do we um, want to go next, John? With this, I mean, I think we know we, we, we're getting close to the end of what we can really say here. But I do mm. think you know that there's interesting. I've been reading this book. I'm returning to this book. We've talked about it a bit called "Theft Is Property: Dispossession Critical Theory" by Robert Nichols, and he engages with I, I Robertson in this as part of a bigger kind of thinking through. I think this might be a really this is a really interesting way of thinking about in a way, a kind of unity between kind of an idea of, you know, this idea of kind of, um, of, of accumulation and the idea of indigenous dispossession, which is basically that he makes this kind of argument that um, through the stealing of indigenous lands in Australia, in America, in wherever, that that is a form of the creation of, of, of property that indigenous lands become property through that process. In much the same way, of course, that the enclosures are taking place. So I think there is, you know, a way in which we can think about, you know, um, and that it's kind of in the background, I guess, of what Morton Robinson is, is, is talking about here. That you're right, there's no kind of like class struggle kind of sensibility, but there's very much a material concept. It's very much, what she's got is very much not just, not a epistemic, purely epistemic, concept is very much a material concept but, but also let's let's not reduce morton robinson's notion of property 
right? Mm. Like, I like that. Yeah. When, you, when The argument you've just made is like, I agree, you know, like yeah. you have a colonial yeah. project, it, there's previous forms of society, it turns, it mm. subjects them to capitalist property laws, yeah. they can become things that are bought and sold, right? Yeah. But Morton Robinson is talking about a sense of ownership that is bigger than the bought and sold, right? Which is, you know, that kind of manage, management of people's lives in a kind of quite, you know, all-consuming way where it's not directly something that, you know, like you could say that, you know, the a, for a football team, managing someone is related to com- the production of, you know, the services of the football club and, and whatever, but it's not reducible to that, right? The, the violence of Indigenous people. Yes, and it, it, I think I want to stop here and, and say is that even though I disagree with Morton Robinson, I don't have a counter theory that explains the phenomena that Morton Robinson wants to talk about. Does that make sense? Like, I don't have anything to fill that gap. It's talking about the social being on, on a much bigger level. I think it's quite hard to read Morton Robinson's book optimistically. You know, and in fairness, when we, went, when we stated their aims... It's not a book that says, and I will give you the solution to complete political solutions, right? It, its endpoint really is like, you know, the call is for other people that are engaged in intellectual work to continue to do this intellectual work to widen the spaces of unsettling, right? But you don't read this book and get a strong sense that, Indigenous sovereignty will win in in the near future. You know, and it is interesting that another absence in the book is any of the Indigenous political movements in Australia in the 20th or 19th century. Rather, the, the actor in this book is, you know, she talks about the, um, you know, the subject of emancipation in this book. She talks about the power of the work of the artist. Is it Vernon Arkey? Um and, you know, looks to other Indigenous scholars. She certainly sees native title, which in some ways I think you could see was a product, uh, you know, an incomplete product of a long land rights struggle in multiple different forms as not a victory. So, you know, that there's no sense in this book that, that emancipation is on the table tomorrow. Rather, it's more of a statement like, it is impossible for Indigenous sovereignty be, to, you know, Indigenous sovereignty is not defeated. The, the white project will never be complete. It will constantly be unsettled. And then politically calls on, you know, like, you know, other Indigenous scholars to continue doing this work. And now perhaps because theoretically, for Morton Robinson, so discourse is so important. You do read this sometimes and you think, well, the world is really shaped by ideas here. Therefore, struggle on the terrain of ideas is powerful, right? Like maybe sometimes you need to struggle to create the possibility to struggle further, right? And I also don't think Morton Robinson really is interested in telling, in in providing a political solution for non-Indigenous people, right? Like why would they, you know? And it's, but it is interesting if you read this book and you go, okay, I agree. And, you know, you're not Indigenous, what the political conclusions to take from from that are so but it but it is you know part because there is no antagonism within whiteness even though and 
there is an inequality between men and women. There's inequality between white migrants and non-white migrants, though they're also all part of this this sovereign project. Since there's no antagonism, there's no sense that it, there's no ally. There's mm. no meeting point of social struggle that could blow this apart. Yeah, and I mean, I think you're right in that you know, to a degree, that's not what what uh, what Morton Robertson wants to achieve here. The, the, her intellectual project is designed to kind of identify the possessiveness, the possessive nature of settler colonialism, to look at how indigenous peoples are currently resisting. And remember, the book is written, you know, largely in the context of the Howard government and after when the indigenous mobilizations and struggles were at a very low ebb. I think it's important to acknowledge the intellectual history there of when she's writing this sort of... Would, you know, would the book have been written in a slightly different way if it was you know, coming on the back of you know, 100,000 strong invasion day protests? I don't know. But it's interesting, I think, to acknowledge that. The other thing that I wanted to say here... Is yeah that that question of ally and, and and what's you know maybe that's not what we look for here you know like I think what this should do to a white reader is to say like okay well this is the reality what how can we fix it this is something that we need to look go looking for in other places and where we might find that is of course and I will talk about this again as I always do is you know when white workers have challenged have acknowledged their own place within racialized hierarchies and, and worked to undermine those such as like when the communist party of australia um, adopted a program of, of, of black liberation in the 1930s theorizing that indigenous peoples were the slaves of slaves the indigenous peoples were enslaved by white people who were in turn enslaved by capitalists and thinking about how our liberation is co-determined in the liberation of others you know that's something that white readers about this book should think about maybe but that's yeah, not what she's trying to do. That's, yeah, I, I, that's I, not I, her I audience. Think, necessarily. I think that that relies on a different. Like, I think if you agree with Morton Robinson, so if I, I read Morton Robinson's argument and I agree, and and that that means means agreeing with an idea that humanity is divided fundamentally on an ontological basis. That the indigenous people have an on, an ontology like and a level of being on the level of being is different by my, than my own and I go well, it's fucked what's happened I want to participate I think there's no like there's no positive project or you could attempt to do is kind of sabotage like without an understand without understanding that that sabotage is necessarily leading to somewhere better for you or that you'll have any determination in it right like you know, like it's it, you want to use the term like race trader, but it's very different from Ignatiev's idea of like of race trader, right? Because you know that classic like treason to whiteness is loyalty to humanity. That notion of humanity is not a theoretical concept that fits with Morton Robinson's world, right? Like because that's 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 part of the the like a white epistemological project that. Indigenous sovereignty is, is different from right, so I think I think people do read this book and are engaged, and you can consistently engage in a practice after this from being Indigenous, but it's different from some of the ones that I guess I'm one too. Um, but that's that's I'm now I'm talking about like so. Uh, I 
and I want to probably like really say that you know nothing that I'm saying in the critique of Morton Robinson is that Morton Robinson hasn't already answered on the page against me. Does it, you know, or, or better people, you know, she's seen this critique coming, and she says, you know, and as we said before, she says, no, no, you are the essentialist because you are continuing to project this kind of a form of of, of colonialising knowledge on an existence that is outside that form. Um, I think it remains a important book, you know, mm-hmm. like in terms of our three book saga, right? <laughs> All yes. providing very different answers, though mm. Robinson does have an engagement with, with Gus and Harsh. You know, it's yep. interesting that kind of Humphrey McQueen and the tradition yep. that Humphrey McQueen was in, intervening in, hmm. which was that um, Russell... Russell Ward, yeah. You know, like that previous tradition, that's hmm. again not present in this book. There is like yep. a split um, between these two, but they all present us very different understandings of the opera like so we 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 have to at this point i think john go there is no ability Hmm. to understand capitalism australian society and the struggle for some kind of emancipation without thinking it simultaneously with some kind of notion of race right yeah and of the ongoing nature of colonialism i think is really important here as well right like it's not it's, it's race and it's colonialism and how those mix how those mix together, right? And how the experience of colonialism is fundamentally shaped. Like from McQueen, we'd say, you know, that the experience of colonization meant that Australia developed a particular and distinctive type of working class. Yeah. Right? So, which or... was specific, which, you know, he kind of walks back on that, obviously. But McQueen says, you know, that the experience of, 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 of us being a colonizing, of a, yeah. of a colonial entity, which has lots of free, quote unquote, land, creates a particular type of working class which is very possessive interestingly in a way that you know that's an interesting link i think then colonialism obviously also produces a lot of the problems of multiculturalism that Hajj identifies in the colonialism and his idea of the third world appearing person and you know the way that colonialism continues to structure in the way that you know multiculturalism is a latter-day version of of, of other ideas of um of um assimilation which were part so, and parcel of the colonial project. No, I, I need to... I think there's a real different... When we're talking about colonialism here, hmm. there's a way that we can talk about it as a historical inheritance, right? Like, because mm-hmm. of the colonisation of Australia set up certain... You know, that capitalism in Australia was overdetermined by that historical experience and expresses itself, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a historical inheritance. Mm. I think that is different from saying... That the violence that is meted out to Indigenous people by the police force in Australia now, by the justice system, is because there is still a coloniality, like a rationality, that animates it internally. Does that distinction make mm. sense? One is talking about historical experience, and the yeah. other is talking about still-lived, yeah. discursive logics. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, that would be just the argument, basically, that colonialism never actually ended, right? Or that it it morphed in different ways, right? I don't think anyone could say that Australia is not still a colonial... is not still a colonial possession. Like, I would would fundamentally say that it is. Australia is a colonial possession that is, as well as a highly developed capitalist economy. It's both, right? And colonialism and its discourses 
and its materialities continue to form the way that Aboriginal people experience Australia. There's no other way to explain it, as far as I'm concerned. I don't see how we can explain Australia as in what happens, this violence, the everyday violence, as anything but, as anything but colonial. Mm. Maybe this is just something we just can't agree on, Dave, which is fine. Well, look, look I, don't, I don't really have an... Like, I, I have, like, a kind of disagreement with this idea of, like... Maybe it's a problem I have with history. <laughs> like, because like, I, I, I... Like, really, I... I the, this, is not a, and this is not a disagreement with the symptoms, but the diagnosis. Does that make sense? You know, so it's not, it's not a disagreement with saying, you know, obviously... Australia is structured on a hierarchy of identities where people's social lives beyond those of, you could say by class in some kind of ways, really structure how their experience and what happens to them and what they can do. I'm always thinking about this as a product of the present, right? Like, and I'm particularly interested in the kind of malleability and flexibility and, you know, how much things that we think are really hard now seem were really different 15 or 20 years ago. Where I think a kind of theory of, of this kind of theory of colonial logics minimizes that difference. And I think my problem with that is because it reduces the capacity for struggle and transformation. But as I say that, I don't think you should discount analysis because you dislike its political conclusion. You know, like, because I'm basically making an argument saying I like a version of the world because it opens the possibility of struggle. That's bullshit. If someone else said to me, like, I like this version of the world because it means like the implicit implication is everything is good. Well, I, go, I don't care. But, but really, I guess that's like my notion of history, I think, is more open to more of the rebellious encounter, more of the breakdown of discourse, a higher level of insubordination, an emphasis on the resistances against it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Th- then I think this often does, but I yeah. think we should probably wrap we up. Should. What do you reckon? I think we should wrap it up. Yeah. I mean, just to say, I think you know all those things that you talked about sound an awful lot like unsettling colonial discourses as well. Which I, and I know you've made some very good points. I think you're absolutely right that you know it's not that there isn't a, a, a former here in ways that you know there can be some sort of common struggle, but certainly I think there is an awareness that it is chipping away at something we might call hegemony if i need it like that term but that there's something there that is shared even if it's not put as clearly as we might like so um i don't know if we can do i'm not like it's been so far between shows like i can't i don't feel yeah. we can do a wrap up you know and what do we all think now like i hope yeah. we've done justice to this book yeah um and we with all these books i would like you cannot um you cannot discount the importance of Morton Robinson's white possessive, both for what it says mm. and also because I think it is the most... It, it is a great embodiment of an argument that friends and comrades are out there are making and thinking, right? Yep. So it is yeah. great. It is important. It is. And, and people should read it. It's had a very profound effect on me on the level of how do I read, how do I think, mm. even if I fundamentally disagree with it yeah um i would really incite and encourage people to um give us their thoughts you know if if you know we always open up the offer um that if people go no you're bullshit everything's wrong if they want to write that in if they want us to interview them if they want to record it and send it in we we would really encourage that um i would like to record more than one podcast 
this year, John. Though I yeah, don't know no, if that's possible. You can, you can kind of return to regular scheduled programming now. We've, so we've sort of done our three. You know, it took us two years. Yeah. When we finally finished the race in Australia and capitalism slash history. We can probably try to do something about what happened. What's happened this year? I would really like to do labor in power. Labor in power. Labor in vain. Yeah. Very what do you good. reckon? Yes. All right, John. I've got to get back to work. <laughs> Uh, slave to the man. So okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit stop recording. <laughs> right. um, thank Thanks you everyone. everyone for listening. This has been Living the Dream. Bye bye. He pointed to the edge of the river with a hand still shaking. That's where the nightmare came. Begin to run Naked now Quickly To the tops of the trees They shot on down Like in order So I go there in the summer Summer To pay my respects But there's no hair sun Where's our bless We forget I'm a money in summer In summer With a flag around your neck That I was And it always will be The gunshots echo down the valley A young rider came Under a possum skin on a dead mother's breast A brave survived amongst the slain So I go there in the summer, summer To pay my respects There's no headstone, where's our blessed Summer, this summer, we can pay our respects, and there's no guilt for it.